0: The defense Commission of these four murders over a 10-day period is one of the worst killing sprees in the history of this state. Skin them sometimes, uh, slit them, slit them all the way open. Uh, I'm
1: here looking for the spirits of anybody that still remains. I have a device in my hand. If you would like to talk to it, please come forward. Tell me your story. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. Then I felt like I really offered society something. You are listening to Serial Spirits, the podcast. Hey, welcome guys to another Serial Snippet. It's me, Brendan Shea, and guess what? For the first time doing a Serial Snippet, I'm in the same rooms with the one and only...
0: Annie Weebs. What's up, Shea Bay?
1: We're doing a snippet together for the first time. How about that?
0: We are. We're on the road, but we wanted to give you guys a little snippet for this week. Give you a little something, something. So... What we're going to talk about tonight is something that we have both obsessed over, and we know millions of other people who watched the first season have obsessed over. We're going to give our personal feelings about Season 2 of Mindhunter.
1: I was blown away. Actually, it started out kind of slow, but... After the uh, big reveal that they, they put in the end of the first season, it was like, "What is going to happen? Are they even going to have another season?" And uh, I was kind of worried they weren't, And then we started seeing little teasers that they were filming it, and then obviously, they released it this past month, and uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. I was thoroughly. Thoroughly happy with what happened in this season.
0: Okay, so let's pause here and say anyone who has not watched season two of Mindhunter and you don't want to know what happens this season, uh, you might want to turn this off right now. Although the topic that they decide to discuss is not something that is secretive in any way, they cover a very well known. Uh, serial killer this season, which was not the one that they kind of alluded to in the first season. But still, if you just don't want to know because you want to watch the show and be surprised, then we'll see you next week on serial spirits. But for anybody who wants to kind of listen to the discussion about not just the series, but the murders that they cover, uh, Shay, that's what we're going to do.
1: Yeah, so if you haven't watched it, what are you doing listening to this? Go and binge watch Mindhunter Season 2 because you won't be disappointed. First and foremost, I have to say that from Season 1, they continued to brilliantly cast the serial killers that they had in the show. Where
0: do they find these people? I don't Number know, but when
1: we first seen Ed Kemper, we were like, holy crap, that guy is Ed... Kemper.
0: Do, do you see what I'm drinking out of? My yeah. favorite mug. It's and my Ed got, Kemper and need a that, ride mug. I
1: need a, a mug that's got a picture of Ed Kemper on it and he's looking all Ed Kemper-ish and it says, I need, I need a ride or you need a ride. Need
0: a ride or, question a ride. mark. Yeah.
1: So this season covered a lot more serial killers. And once again, as I said, the casting was brilliant. So I'm going to go through a list right now of the serial killers that were covered this season of Hunter, Charles Manson, Dennis Rader, David Berkowitz, Ed Kemper, of course, Wayne Williams, who we'll get into a lot, Paul Bateson, and Elmer Wayne Henley, William Henry Hance. Now, these guys were all notorious serial killers, except for Marilyn, Ma- or not Marilyn
0: Manson. Marilyn Manson? <laughs> Negative. Uh, wah, except, wah. For,
1: except for Charles Manson, who technically really wasn't a serial killer. Yeah. He never killed anybody. But the guy who played him needs to win an Academy Award because... Oh, God, he
0: was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, he was Charles Manson, down to the height that Charles Manson actually was. I mean, it was an incredible, incredible casting. And basically, if you don't know what Mindhunters is, it's it's the non-fiction fictional story of how the FBI began profiling what they now term serial killer. Uh, They're looking for patterns in all these guys who committed all these heinous crimes. And they it was like a behavioral science unit that was started in the FBI. And it really wasn't backed for a long time until they started really showing results that there were certain categories that all of these men, I say men because that's mostly who they, who they interviewed, but they really had a pattern in everything that they did. And they would also go back and rely on these serial killers like Ed Kemper to give them advice on other people that they were following, other people that they suspected to be a serial killer. So it's really um, a cool thing to see how it all developed, how the FBI really wasn't like, eh, this isn't really, you know, truth behind it. And then finally science started to prove that there was truth behind it.
0: So it's based on the or the main character is based on a real FBI profiler named John Douglas, who I've actually reached out to. John, if you're listening, still throwing hints out there that if you'd like to come on one of our shows...
1: He watched your uh, live show the other night. He He did.
0: He watched Weebs Live the other night, and I had a real fangirl moment because I wanted to say... It's like that weird, like... You're the nerdy kid at the school dance, like you're the wallflower, and you're like, Oh, talk to me, talk to me like I was just waiting for him to say something. He didn't, but he watched anyway. So, John Douglas, if you're listening, the offer still stands. Um, but it's based on John Douglas's life and how John,
1: John Douglas is holding forward in the yeah, it's holding show. forward,
0: and so he it goes through these cases of how they began to profile serial killers, and the the real-life Bill Tinch is now deceased. So, Mr. Douglas kind of spearheaded, I believe, this project. And um, season two, in my opinion, deviated a little from what I think everybody expected, because season one, you get so much Murder, murder, murder. It's shock value, almost. You're talking about Ed Kemper. And, you know, they leave you with Holden Ford um, in a hospital room with Ed Kemper, where Ed Kemper has just attempted to, you know, like cuddle him and caress him. Ed Kemper was
1: showing his little emotional side because he actually had somebody who cared for him. But if you look at the whole aspect of who Ed Kemper was, he always had this male figure in his life that he always tried to, you know, get close to and look up to and Holden Ford and and Mindhunters became that that character for him.
0: They also, though, talked about in the first season or, or kind of led into, they wanted you to believe that this season, or at least I felt, was going to be about Dennis Rader, the BTK killer who got away with his crimes for, what, decades before his ego caught up with him and he was eventually captured. Season 2 doesn't do that, though. They, they allude to Dennis Rader's crimes. They flash back and to, to the things that lead up to BTK becoming what he was but they deviate and take on a different story that is well-known and has been for nearly 40 years now and was probably in the media recently because of another Payne Lindsay podcast called The Atlanta Monster.
1: Yeah, Payne Lindsay did a, uh, a podcast and he basically covered the story of Wayne Williams who was the accused Atlanta monster who in the late 60s
0: No, it was the late 1970s to early 1980s over the course of like two or three years. They cover the Atlanta child murders. So during the course of these couple of years, 29 People disappeared. Children, teenagers, mostly male, all African American. And so season two of Mindhunter goes into not just the murders, but the political aspects of what was going on in Atlanta at that time. That led to the outcome that, as of today, still stands for the Atlanta child murders. Yeah,
1: Wayne Williams was convicted of two murders of, of two young men. Not, he wasn't convicted of any of the murders of the children, but he was the FBI's main suspect. Due to what you see in the show, Holden Ford's um, profile that he set up, and he, he believed that it was a black man, a young black man, and you know he detailed it to a T, and this guy fit his profile perfectly. And they allude to some of the things, you know, if you look into the case, it's TV, not everything is, is factual. But they alluded to a few things that Wayne Williams did suspiciously, cleaned out his car after he was pulled over, changed the carpet in the house. The carpet in the house was changed when they came to get forensics from the house and just weird things like that that this guy did. And he was convicted on two other murders that he was linked to but it wasn't any of the children. And you see, as Annie said, it's a political thing because it was, uh, you know, basically Atlanta at the time was divided. It was, it's a southern state and it was, you know, black versus white. And it was a sad time in our, you know, in our history. And uh, people didn't want to believe that it was a young black man committing these crimes because all the victims were black.
0: Well, and what you've also got to look at is the fact that Atlanta had just elected their first African-American mayor who was really trying to bring more business into Atlanta. They were building onto the airport um, to make it this huge national, international hub. And so this season goes into Holden Ford eventually meeting up with the mothers of some of these children who are murdered and missing, and these families are convinced. Atlanta was convinced that because it was all African-American children, that this murderer was somehow tied to the KKK.
1: And they did. They dug deep in that, and they, they did a lot of sting operations trying to find, you know, who this person could be in the KKK, the ties that they had in the KKK. And you see on TV that they tried, but who really knows? We weren't there. We don't know. How much did they really try? Because like I said, the South is a lot different than than the North as far as, you know, how they view races, and, you know, we won't get into that whole thing, but it's just, you, you really find it hard to believe that they dug so deep into this, and as Annie said, it gets political, and you see that the first person that they can get their hands on and just throw the book at, they do. They don't charge him with any of the other murders. They just say, yeah, he's the guy who did it. He's convicted. He's still in prison to this day. And uh, Payne Lindsey's podcast that he did basically talks about that maybe Wayne Williams was not the man who committed these crimes. And they look at all the other evidence and they look at all the other suspects that were originally considered suspects in the case. And they try to tie it all back to maybe saying that Wayne Williams wasn't the guy. But if you watch Mindhunter Season 2, they make it pretty convincing that Wayne Williams was the guy.
0: You really think they did? Because I I, I think there's a... I kind of disagree. Because I think their whole... I feel like there was a much bigger purpose of this season than to just make TV that was talking about serial killers. And I I, I don't really know where... I don't know. I don't know where they lead with it other than to talk more about political corruption and how it plays into the justice system and even in the FBI. But they allude to the fact at the very end, what, in like the last 15 minutes of the season finale, that there could have been... Accomplices, okay, say Wayne Williams was a killer. Was he the only killer that committed these crimes? Like you said, once he was arrested and convicted, there are still 27 children who were murdered and missing. That they, no one has ever seen justice for these crimes. And so at the very end, it kind of goes into this, and I think you you realize that Holden Ford's character in that moment realizes that there is a much bigger picture. And here they are, you know, these white FBI agents who have been brought into a town that they know nothing about, that is racially divided, and the races in a way, are pointing fingers at each other. And I almost feel like they felt like they were almost like the scapegoats coming in here of, okay, well, you find this murderer. Okay, well, we found him. He was the the African-American man that we said he was going to be. Okay, well, now he's arrested for two of these murders. But twenty-seven are still technically unsolved, and it's almost like, to me, at that very last minute in that last episode, you see Holden Ford have this realization of maybe these mothers were right, maybe the townspeople, yeah, the mothers were right, yeah, of Atlanta, and
1: even, and even when the, the the lady who was the uh, clerk at the hotel, right. She comes up there and says, well, they just pinned it on the first guy they could get because it's a political blow. And you're right. It makes sense. And I think, you know, stepping back and seeing him, his character, he does realize that, you know, this is bigger than the FBI. This is it doesn't matter what we do as far as far as like profiling these people. Like it's important to us to be able to to find the scientific backing to profile these type of killers, these sequence killers, as they originally were called. And we can put it all together and give a profile. But at the end of the day, is this science, is this profile helping to catch the right guy? Because you're, you're just trying to pin it, you know, put the crime on the first person. And I think Holden Ford really started to realize, like, that, like you said, that the mothers were right, that, hey, this was our guy, he was the fall guy, regardless if he did it or not, we tied him to two other murders, he's the guy.
0: They caught a guy. They don't know that they caught every guy or that they even necessarily caught the right guy because... Now that this story is coming back into the public eye again, because of Atlanta Monster with Payne Lindsay, because of Mindhunter, there's actually talk of reopening Wayne Williams' case.
1: Yeah, they they released an article, I think, a week after Mindhunter was released saying that there's talks to reopen um the Atlanta Monsters case, which would be, you know, Amazing if they could and if they found new evidence, because obviously, you know, technology has advanced and forensics has advanced and all the science behind that. I mean, it's so advanced now. And maybe that's another reason why that shows like this are important. And They put that political aspect in it because they're like, we see injustice was done. We're going to write this to show the injustice that was done and we're going to try to get this case back in the spotlight. And that's exactly what it seemed to have done.
0: So Mindhunter was released on August 16th. Rolling Stone released an article on August the 20th that says earlier this year, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms and Atlanta Police Chief Erica Shields announced that following advancements in DNA technology, the city would be retesting evidence associated with the Atlanta child murders a series of gruesome killings of more than 25 black children and adolescents in the late 1970s and early 1980s. During the press conference, Shields said there were boxes of evidence associated with the case, some of which had never been tested, and that the department believed it had a responsibility to the families of the victims to reopen the case. She said... Quote, we hope to let them know that we have done all that we can do to make sure their memories are not forgotten and in the truest sense of the word to let the world know that black lives do matter.
1: And it's only right because you see this nationwide in so many different cases. Rape cases for is a huge example. There was a big documentary that was released about rape cases. So many rape kits are never tested. They're just put on a shelf, whether it's because of funding whether it's because they're forgotten, they don't have enough people to test it, they don't have enough money to test it, it still gets put on the back burner. And that just you know shows the injustice of the justice system because it doesn't always work the way that we think it is. It all looks good on paper. And you hope to God that you're never in a situation like that. For example, they arrested a guy. Well, they didn't arrest him. They detained him in Season 2 of Mindhunter because he was off on the side of the road and he left a bunch of playboy magazines that he was jerking off to and they tied his dna to that somehow and because of cigarette butts i think right and uh they tied him to that so he was brought in as a suspect and and he might have just been in it his story was you know his wife was pregnant and he wasn't you know getting what he needed at home so he decided i'm gonna stop on the side of the road and take care of myself and he left the stuff behind and Voila.
0: But this that guy also did not fit Holden Ford's profile because of what was the number one factor.
1: Yeah, he was supposed to be a, a black man. He
0: was white. So yeah. they kind of said, you know, okay, yeah, there's no evidence here, but also this guy doesn't fit because one of John Douglas's characteristics of a serial killer was that they rarely cross racial lines. So they usually, quote-unquote, hunt from within their own race, basically.
1: Well, and we've seen that with the guy, you know, we covered the story Charlie Chopoff. The guy that they eventually arrested was of Latin American descent, and he was killing these young Latino children. So, you know, it it fits the characteristic, but there's, you know, there's always, there's always... I can't think of the word.
0: There's always room for interpretation. Well, there's always
1: room for interpretation, but there's always, you know, I can't even think of the word.
0: What are you trying to think of?
1: Outside of the norm. There's always outside of the norm of possibility that, you know, he could, he could cross, somebody could cross racial lines. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't matter. Yeah,
0: it doesn't. This, again, this all happened in the late 1970s, early 1980s, when they are just developing these characteristics of a serial killer. They literally had just coined the term serial killer and they're trying to define what a serial killer really is. But again, it was just based on all of these patterns that John Douglas and his partner were finding in these killings. That's why they went out and talked to Ed Kemper, Charlie Manson, um, all uh, not BT, um, son of Sam, all these guys were in prison for these heinous crimes it was literally just developing patterns and how these guys functioned
1: and even pulling the uh, bs out of the uh out of them too like in the thing they they show you um sam berkowitz they talk about how he was you saying he was hearing the devil talk to him I mean, in david the,
0: berkowitz yeah son of sam son of sam yeah
1: and how he he said, you know, yeah, it was yeah, I was hearing voices in my head and they pretty much got him to admit that no, I was just that was just a lie so I could get, you know, plead insanity and everything else and
0: Well, they talked to a lot of people who were that way. They realized that a lot of these guys were just really
1: Well, manipulative. That's manipulative. the main thing. That's the yes. main thing. They're all manipulative and they have that manipula manipulatory personality. And it showed in every single one of these guys. They were able to convince people of certain things. And that is one characteristic they all shared. Now, the way that Wayne Williams was portrayed was pretty much the same way. He was able to, they think that he was able to lure children in the car because he was looking for the next big music star.
0: Right. He, he was, was into music, music pro- and promoter. he was handing
1: out flyers. To these young children to promote, you know, a music business that he wanted to start and that he was looking for the next big, you know, Jackson 5, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. And so that was his, what they said was the way that he lured these kids into the car, which makes sense. It does. I mean, that's, that's a, yeah, you, you want to lure a kid in the car, why not candy? Why not promise them the world? Right. You know what I mean? And they said that he brought them to this music studio, but he never had them sing or anything. He just sat down and talked to them.
0: Well, and that brings up another point of the area that they were in and the culture because these kids, none of them came from well-to-do families. They were all from, I don't want to say poor, but a lot of them from underprivileged families. And you see the cops at one point, or the FBI, Holden and his associates go out And try to lure children to their cars by saying, "Hey, I've got work for you to do. Um, I'll pay you two bucks an hour." And these kids would get in the car with the African American cops, but they wouldn't with the white cops
1: because they—that's who they trusted at that time. They didn't
0: trust them. They had zero trust. In the police, they had zero trust of anyone outside of their race at that point because the racial division was so prominent, which was what also made Holden Ford's uh, theory of "Hey, this is a black man killing these black children" so unpopular at the time.
1: Well, and but it was convincing because you know, like he states numerous times if a white man was going around picking up black children in a, in a predominantly black neighborhood, people would have seen it. People, people would have noticed it. And that was what the point he was trying to make, too. That's why he, he did that test, where he had some of these uh, African-American cops go around and pick up these children. And he, at one point, I think he had, what, eight kids in the car? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is, his theory made sense,
0: 100%. So I guess in wrapping up this snippet, What was your overall impression uh, on a scale of 0 to 10 of Mindhunter Season 2?
1: I give it an 8 out of 10, only because some of the uh, character building that they did just really didn't need to be in there. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the side stories they put in there, like, yeah, you want to try to build a character and you want to show their own personal struggles, whether it's factual or not. It just really... You know, there was parts of the show that were just like, come on, can we just get past this and just go back to what, you know, the show's about? Like, we're, we're talking about serial killers. And and I honestly, you know, there was some stuff on there that I was like, eh.
0: Like Holden's girlfriend in season one, because now she's just disappeared. Yeah, so it's, it's like just, they tried to do another, like, character building relationship. I could watch soap operas if I wanted yeah, to see that. It just I want to see serial killers if I watch Mindhunter. The so, only
1: one that really that. kind of was... At all, like, I wouldn't say entertaining, but it's just what they do with Bill Tench's character. Oh, yeah. With, you know, his his personal struggles with his family, because that kind of ties into, whether it's factual mm-hmm. or not, I don't know. Whether it, but it ties into the work that he does, and his inability to see this, but he sees it, but it's just like he doesn't want to see it. I mean, that, that made sense, and that was kind of cool to see. But overall, I mean, they did a really good job, like I said at the beginning of the snippet the casting was phenomenal. The casting for the show continues to be phenomenal and they should win some kind of Emmy or some kind of award for the, you know, the casting directors in this, because it's, it's unreal. You have to see it. If you haven't seen it,
0: they talk about so many of these serial killers that they interview. I wish some of them, and I, you know, we have no idea how many seasons they plan on doing this. And they made it obvious that BTK is going to be one of the main characters, one of the main storylines at some point down the road, but there were so many others that they just touched upon in this season that you could have gone so deep into. Well,
1: I honestly think too that they kind of have to continue on because there's so many more prolific serial killers that come about even in our time and that I'm sure John Douglas had a big input on. Right. Um, And so I think they're going to get into the the 90s and I think the early 2000s, I think that's cl- going to culminate into the capture of BTK and Dennis Rader um, and finding out exactly who this guy was because his ego got the best of him. So I'm looking forward to see what the next season's going to hold. It's going to be
0: exciting. I can't wait to binge it in 24 hours like we did this one so we can wait in an- another entire year <laughs> to watch Another season, there's no pacing yourself when it comes to Netflix. You just got
1: to go. You it's like go. all or more.
0: it's all or nothing in like 24 hours. We did it with Stranger Things too. Yeah. So, um John Douglas, sir, if you are listening, we would still love to speak with you and get your opinion on this, but until then, guys, we're going to wrap up this serial snippet. You can catch us again next week on Paranormal Warehouse, iTunes, and SoundCloud.
1: And guys, please go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. It would be most appreciated. We'll see you guys next week.